Well, good morning, happy Saturday. We're taking a look at the 100 most significant events uh, over the last 2,000 years in the history of the Christian faith. We're doing this because the stories we tell ourselves about our past shape our future. Doing so because studying history can help us leverage the insights from the past to live better. Doing so because studying history rightly will almost always lead us to a position of humility. Doing so because uh, studying history helps us see the hand of God. There's lots of reasons to study history. We're looking at the 100 most significant people, events, and ideas of the last 2,000 years. The first one was the uh, burning of Rome during the time of Nero, 64 AD. The second one was the destruction of, uh, of Israel, in particular the temple, in 70 AD. Today, we are looking uh, at the life and times of um, a man by the name of Justin Martyr. And doing this because, singling out Justin, because he's one of the early church fathers. So um, let me say a few things to help you get your bearings. Uh, the first century is often thought of as the era of the early church or the era of the apostles. John, the apostle, will die, tradition suggests, in 98 AD. So the first century is generally described as the apostolic period. At that point, we have no one who's no one else alive who was personally with Jesus. We move into a second period. We call this the era of the patristics or of the apostolic fathers. And this period is going to go on uh, for several hundred years. Now, it's not really clear where when it ends. Um, some would end this with uh, the rise of the Middle Ages, and, or they might tie it specifically with the death of Gregory the Great. Others are gonna, are gonna group this uh, period as ending with the rise of Islam in North Africa. The point is, there are periods of history, and when we're thinking about the West, when we're thinking about the church, the Judeo-Christian trajectory of ideas, you generally say, well, it starts with the Greeks uh, and the Hebrews, and then you move into the Roman era, and then you have the fall of Rome, which leads into the Dark Ages, and then the Middle Ages, also called uh, Christendom. Uh, and then uh, we come out of Christendom, we have the Renaissance, and then the Reformation, and then the Enlightenment, uh, scientific discovery, we move into the modern era, um, and then now in more of a postmodern era. So these are all vague concepts and timeframes. The point is, uh, we're moving now out of the early church era into the um, era of the apostolic fathers, or also called the era of the patristic period. Now, let me just note as we're leaving the early church era that some people, some people think that this is the golden age and that uh, we really should spend more time here. And I'm gonna admit, you know, we are moving at a ridiculously stupid pace. It's painful to jump from 70 AD to 150, uh, passing over everything that's happened. But that's sort of the nature of history. You gotta leave a lot of things out and look for the big ideas and the big trends. So we're moving very quickly. But the early church era was not the golden age, as some people think of it. I, I hear people say, oh, if only, we could, if only we could get back to the early church. And I think, wow, have you read the book of Acts? 
have you read First Paul's letter to the Corinthian church? Have you seen the kind of problems they were dealing with? Oh my goodness. Now, there is a sense in which the getting back to this period, the people who were alive at the time of the apostles and alive at the time of the disciples, there, there, is, there is a lot to be gained by that. I get it. But it wasn't a perfect era. There is no perfect era. And the era of the apostolic fathers is certainly not a perfect time either. Now, historians will generally divide up uh, the apostolic father period uh, along one of several different uh, approaches. The most common one is to divide these men, and it's all men, uh, that get identified. This is, you know, Augustine and Basil of Caesarea and Ignatius and Polycarp and Justin. There's a, a number of church fathers. So sometimes they're divided up by when they wrote, and in particular, by whether or not they wrote before the Council of Nicaea, which is in 325. Constantine comes to power, and he's going to issue an edict of toleration and put an end to the persecution that's going on for most of the first 300 years. And there will be a council. We'll look at the council. That's one of the big inflection points. So um, some divide up the writers, the church fathers, by those who wrote before the Council of Nicaea. They're called anti, A-N-T-E, anti, before Nicaea, with those who wrote after the Council of Nicaea. Others will divide up the church fathers by where they lived. And so we're going to have a big division in, uh, in the Western world between, excuse me, in the, in the uh, Roman Empire between the West, which is based out of Rome, and the Western writers are going to write in Latin, and the East, which is based out of uh, Constantinople, modern-day Turkey, or excuse me, modern-day Istanbul in Turkey. And they will write in Greek, and they're going to develop um, the Orthodox branch of the Christian faith, capital O, Orthodox. Um, a third division for the church fathers is what kind of writing they're doing. Who are they writing to? Are they writing to sort of define the faith? Are they dealing with issues like the Trinity and the deity of Christ? Or are they writing uh, to defend the faith? And the division is a little bit of a false one because a lot of these people do both. And a lot of times when you're writing about, um, you know, the nature of Christ, you are actually defining things and defending things. But... In 1 Peter 3, we are told that we are to be ready um, at all times to offer a defense, uh, an explanation, uh, an apologia, that's the Greek word, an apology, apologia, of, of the hope that we have within us. And so there's a group of writers who write to defend the faith, and they develop early on. Uh, today, we think of people like uh, Ravi Zacharias and... Uh, um, C.S. Lewis, Bill Craig, uh, Lee Strobel, Josh McDowell. These are apologists. They're sort of defending the faith against attack. Well, the first apologist is Justin, and he's writing a, to defend the faith against things like uh, docetism and Gnosticism and Marcionism and other of the early church heresies. So uh, Justin is born in 115... Um, AD into a Gentile family living in Samaria. And early on, he moves through a handful of, um, of uh, ideal stages, a handful of religious or philosophical schools of thought. For a while, he follows Socrates. Then he follows Plato. Then he becomes a Stoic. Eventually, 
uh, he runs into an old man uh, who, who he's talking to, and the old man says, look, the prophets are better than the philosophers. And this is going to lead, uh, lead him to declare eventually, to come to faith in Christ and to declare his allegiance to Christ. So I have a quote from Justin. He writes, a fire was suddenly kindled in my soul. I fell in love with the prophets and these men who had loved Christ. I reflected on all their words and found that this philosophy alone was true and profitable. That is how and why I became a philosopher. And I wish that everyone felt the same way that I do. So at this point, he becomes a teacher. He starts traveling around speaking. And eventually he'll move to Rome where he'll start a school. I have no idea whether the school was uh, in session at this point or if they had a hybrid schedule or, you know, they were doing all of their learning online. But he starts a school in Rome. He will also start writing. Uh, in 155, he begins to publish things. He writes the first apology. That's what it's called. You can get it online. Uh, he'll also write uh, a second apology. He'll write a letter to Trifo, which exists. We know that he writes a number of other things because people reference them, but we can't find them. They're, they're lost uh, in antiquity. So uh, the apologies were all often written to the emperor because he is defending Christianity against attacks and persecution from uh, from Rome. And, and he's saying, look, Christians are, are good people. They're good citizens. You want to have them around. We, we obey the Roman laws. Now, Justin is noteworthy. Uh, I sort of uh, profile him because, again, he's recognized as the first apologist. He gives us some of the earliest descriptions of what church life is like. And he also is famous for using uh, Greek philosophical concepts to argue for the truth of the, of the Christian faith. We see uh, this in particular as he writes a lot about first, or excuse me, about John 1, and in particular about the Logos. He's talking about Christ. So remember, the Gospels uh, were written to persuade us to put our faith in Christ. The four Gospels, the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are writing to tell people, hey, Jesus is God, put your hope in Christ. Matthew writes to a Jewish audience. So he opens with the genealogy because he's tying the Old and New Testaments together. Uh, Mark writes more for Romans. Um, and Romans, this is a bit of an overstatement, but Romans were not considered to be the, broad, the brightest light bulbs of the ancient world. They were strong. They had, they had awesome military force. So they are able to defeat the Greeks, but... They, they, and they're smart enough to just adopt the Greek, Greek culture, but they, they don't have a culture that is as good as the Greeks. The Greeks are giving us uh, philosophy. They're giving us the arts. They're giving us the theater. They're giving us the city. They're giving us all this stuff. And the Romans are just stronger than the Greeks are, so they beat them up and, and take all their stuff, take all their culture. So Roman and Greek world sort of meshes, but the Romans were not considered quite as bright as the Greeks. Mark's gospel is very short, very simple. Then we've got Luke's gospel written to Gentiles, to Theophilus is who he's highlighting. He's trying to persuade non-Jews to come to faith. John is writing to the Greeks. So John lives longer than the other apostles. He's writing later. He's seeing the, the rise, the ongoing influence of Greek philosophy. And so he goes right after the Greek philosophers, and, and he uses this word logos. So the logos is... Um, 
understood to be, it's, it translates word, but it's understood to be this big defining concept. And Greek philosophy had played out at this point. And the Greeks couldn't figure out what the meaning of life was, what the purpose of life was, what humans were designed for, what our end, our teleos was. And so they, they sort of failed, they'd given up. And John comes by and he says, in the beginning was the word, the logos, the defining one, the one that gives us meaning and purpose and defines everything. And so um, uh, Justin, is, is, he loves this kind of thinking and he's, he's sort of tied in with the Greeks. And so he is gonna give us this Greek philosophy. And uh, I just realized I've gone for 12 minutes. Oh my goodness. Okay, so not, not everyone appreciates this approach. Uh, Tertullian uh, is gonna famously, Tertullian will come 100 years later, and Tertullian is gonna famously say, what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? What do the Greeks have to do with, with uh, the rest of us? What does philosophy have to do with the Bible? What does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? And uh, so not everybody's gonna follow this. Um, but many people will appreciate Justin and this idea that philosophy can help us understand God more uh, accurately. And um, so we're gonna be thankful for his writings. So um, I've highlighted Justin for three reasons. First, because he moves us into the second century, moves us into this era of the apostolic fathers. Um, secondly, because he's recognized as one of the very first apologists. His life reminds us that uh, we have to be ready to offer a defense for the hope that is within us. And then finally, because uh, Justin is gonna be killed. He is gonna be martyred for his faith. In uh, 165, he's arrested and he's threatened with death unless he will renounce his faith. And uh, he has to swear allegiance to some of the Roman gods. Christians were considered atheists because they only believed in one God. Everybody else believed in all kinds of gods. And uh, Justin very famously said, uh, no, I'm not gonna do that. Uh, no one in their right mind would move from uh, true belief to false belief. And so he's whipped, along with a half dozen others, he's whipped and then he is beheaded. And so um, Justin the martyr is going to um, remind us that uh, life is not always easy, but it will end well. I, I, again, I, I make this promise. Those who uh, follow Christ, this all ends well because Jesus wins. Now, uh, death is not the end and we might have challenges and struggles, and perhaps even face martyrdom. I don't think so, but many people did, and uh, we can learn from them. So that's the third uh, inflection point. Number four is uh, gonna be Polycarp, who's another church father and who is also martyred. See you next week. <laughs>